and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Let's celebrate him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you for receiving communion with us. Before you have a seat, look at somebody and say, I'm glad we're sitting together right now. Yeah, I'm glad we're sitting together. That was awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And before anything else happens, can we also just honor our worship team in our tech area? They did a great job leading us in worship today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Always an honor to worship the Lord together. How many of you have your Bibles with you? Let me see. Have you got your Bibles? Yes. Have you got your digital Bibles? Let me see those too. Those are okay. Yeah. How many got your journals with you? Let me see your journals. Yeah. If you do not have a journal, if this is your first time joining us, you have a free one of these waiting for you at the Welcome Center. Because as we say every week, my favorite thing that happens around here at RLC isn't just us diving into God's Word together, which we're going to do. And if you want to go and open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 16. But what I really love is we're going to be taking some message notes, and we've got those in your worship guide or also on our smartphone device. But my favorite part is what happens in between the margins. As God starts to speak to you out of his word, you need a place to write it down. And that's what is our investment to you, is a place where you can write down everything that God is saying to you during our time together. So if you want to get all of that out with me, as someone had told me the other day that we're also going to have to come with like a, like a, a lap thing, because like I've got all my stuff spread out. I know, I can't help that. Uh, just, just work it out. It does whatever works for you. But if you want to get those out with me, we're going to be in, into the next part of our series entitled Practicing Resurrection. And what this is, this is a study through the book of Ephesians, one passage at a time, because what the book of Ephesians really talks about is he talks to the church. And what he's saying is, is when we receive Jesus, it's like receiving the resurrection for ourselves. We become dead in our sins, alive in Christ. But then what does that look like day after day? How do we practice that resurrection in our life? And that's what Paul is really being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write to all of us. And so in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he really talks about the idea of who I am in Christ, who you are in Christ, and then who we are. Like he, he helps us understand that when we come to know Jesus, we're not just sinners saved by grace, but we have now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so we're no longer sinners, but now we are saints who are not perfect. We still make mistakes, but we're no longer trying to be enough for God. That Just like we just got through singing about, he already loves us. We're already approved by him. And then what's amazing is once we realize that God is doing that in your life and in your life and in my life, then we start to realize he's doing that in all of our lives. And God's word says that that is when we become the masterpiece of God, that all of angels and all of demons and all of creation looks on at the church and goes, wow, look at the amazing grace of God. And that's, that's what he spent the first two chapters saying, listen, I just need you to get this. Because in chapter three, he says, if you could ever get that we are so much more than what many of us think we are, that God's got a plan for us, that you would just grow. And then he said, you would experience the love of God, the height, the width, the depth, and saying, you're never going to fully get there, but you're going to get a long way when you understand all of this. And then, then he pivots from that and he says, okay, now let's shift over to what that looks like. Now that you got the, the, the baseline, let's talk about practically what it looks like. And that's the rest of the book of Ephesians, uh, just talking about practically living out that resurrection. And last week we talked about how all of that begins with unity. And so that we're all going to have differences here, there, and everywhere, but we have to find some things we're going to unify under so that God can do these things in our life. And when he, he talks about that, he's going to talk about now the scripture references we're going to have today that is a pretty tall order 
to be honest with you, it, it made me think of something, and I don't know if this is going to make sense to you. I'm trying to, I was trying to figure out how to make this, uh, help this make sense. And in doing that, I was thinking about um, the sequoia trees out west. How many of you have ever seen the sequoia forest? A few, few of you. How many of you haven't seen them, but you know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about. How many of you think that they are a lie? <laughs> No, of course not, right? Well, I had a friend of mine that went to the sequoia, uh, the forest where they have the different sequoia trees, which, by the way, if you look at this little person, that's a, that's a people right there. That's a person. That's how big these trees are compared to uh, us, <laughs> weans, as we would say, nowhere. No one says weans but me, but right there. And, and what happened is a friend of mine went to the sequoia, uh, the forest where the sequoia national trees or trees are, and he started explaining them to me. He was like, Brandon, these things are amazing. They're awesome. If I hadn't have seen them, I wouldn't have believed it. And he was saying that one sequoia tree can get up to taller than over 316 feet. That's taller than, than the Statue of Liberty, okay? That's how tall these trees can get. And then he said, not only that, but they can get as wide as over 36 feet wide. Now, I don't know if that helps you figure this out or not, but our ceiling is about 16 feet. So it's like two of our ceilings Wide. That's how wide they can get. They actually can put a hole in the middle of it, and you can drive right through one of those trees. They get to be over 640 tons, okay? That's, that's pretty heavy. That's, I did some research. That's like the, the amount of 150 elephants, okay? That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty big. And then they can live, get this, live to be over 3,000 years old. That means when the, some of these trees were babies, Jesus had walked on the earth. When some of these trees were babies, King David was possibly alive. That's how old some of these trees are. And he was talking about this, and it was just blowing my mind. And to be honest, I was like, that sounds like something out of a fairy tale. Like, I believe you. I believe everybody else who's been there. I can see pictures of it. But to really get it in my head, to be honest with you, it's kind of hard to do. It seems like something that would be in Lord of the Rings, not in the state of Washington. I mean, it's kind of hard to get my mind around. Well, that's the same thing that happens to me when I think about the text we're going to be reading today. God's word says that this is what the body of Christ, the church, is supposed to look like. And I believe it because it's God's word. I believe it because other people have told me they've experienced church like this. But if I'm honest, I've never quite experienced church quite like this. But because I know it's possible, I want to see it. Just like the sequoia trees. It's on my bucket list that I want to see it. And after we read this and study this today, it's on my personal bucket list to see real life church become like what we're going to read about today. So let's, let's dive into this and see what this Sequoia tree church looks like. That is not what we're going to rename our church, but, but kind of look with me. The Bible says, however, each, uh, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, you're in each one. <laughs> you're in each one. Yeah. All right, that's bad English, but it's a good point. Each one of us has been given special gifts through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, pause for a second. What did he just say? Well, Paul can never quite get over the gospel. He can never quite get over the fact that Jesus wasn't just a good man, but he was God. 
And he entered out of eternity into time, took on the form of flesh, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again, and because of that, we have freedom. But not only do we know that, but we also realize he's also our king and our Lord. And the scripture that he used when he said, that's why the scriptures say, this is actually out of uh, Psalm chapter 68, and it was a conquering psalm. It talked about what would happen is as a king would come in and conquer a new territory, and he would come and set up his throne, he would then turn and give the spoils of war to his generals and his soldiers who had fought so hard. And he's saying, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. That Jesus came and he led captivity captive. He went and he destroyed the works of darkness. And then he gave the power of his kingdom to his church. And so then he said that once we realize that, we realize that these gifts that Christ gave to the church are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And which, by the way, these are not all the gifts that God has given us. You can find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, as well as Romans chapter 12, I believe it is. And those gifts are for every believer. These are the gifts he gave to the church as a whole. And which, by the way, you have the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists. During the early church, these were migrant ministers who would go from place to place, setting up the church, spreading the gospel. And then it was the pastors and the teachers who would set up shop in that local city and start to do this. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they seem like the truth, sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's amazing. That Paul is saying, I got this big idea of what God has revealed to me that the church is supposed to be. And because of the greatness of God, God wants to do something amazing in the local congregation when we come together, do life together. So this is the big idea of our message. And that is that because of the greatness of Jesus, we can help each other become healthy and mature and full of love. Because of what Jesus did when he came to the earth, he died on a cross, he rose again, and then he gave the power of his kingdom to his church. Because of that, we now have the ability and opportunity, and the text actually said the responsibility to help each other become healthy and mature and full of love. And if I'm honest, to me, that sounds like a sequoia tree. Like it's amazing and it's awesome, but it sounds like something that's almost out of a fairy tale because it sounds great. But can I be honest with you and tell you, I've not experienced that very much in my walk with God when it comes to doing life with other people. And so I want to go ahead and give you a disclaimer. I am not in any way through this message going to talk about the church that you grew up at or or, any, or church you came from. None of that. I want to talk about me and my experiences in church. And so I want you just to kind of understand that. I'm not, I'm not pointing this at anybody else, but just kind of my past when it comes to church. Because I've been in environments where things were healthy, 
but we weren't really growing in God, and we didn't really focus on the love of God. I've, I've been in places where, man, we were maturing in Christ, but I wouldn't really say that we were full of love. And then I've had places where, man, we were so full of love. We loved everybody. We even loved your cats. And that's saying something right there, okay? But we were definitely not mature because of that. <laughs> and we weren't healthy. And so it's like, I believe it's there, and I want to see it. But I've not always seen it. Because I'm gonna, just to be honest with you, my history growing up in, in church world looked a little bit more like this. I'm going to call it the modern church way. And that is that we have people who want to be the body of Christ. But then we go to this building and we consume. The, it's like church quit becoming something that we are and it became a product to consume. Because what happens is at some point something shifted and it went from us being like a local body and a family doing life together, the family of God, and it became a product. Well, we would come in church, we would get our coffee, we would get you know, our Hope Cafe and always stop by Hope Cafe because it goes to missions and all that is good, but then we would come and we would sit down and we would basically say, entertain me. Sing my favorite songs, make it sound just like the radio, pastor tell some good jokes, make me laugh, and then I'm, I'm gonna go home. And then I'm gonna rate it based on whether or not I come back and based on whether or not I give in the offering. Instead of it being a worship, it became a tip at the end. And then we wonder why it doesn't work. And we wonder why what happens after this is really it's then, okay, we're going to go and we're going to have church, we're going to do our life. And then it's really just left up to the pastors and leaders and maybe a few others to do the work of ministry through the week. I've had people tell me, no, I'm not going to tell people about the gospel. That's your job. To which I go, uh-uh. <laughs> no, I mean, it's my job to share the gospel, but because I'm a Christ follower, not just because I'm a pastor. And I'm, I am sure that was not the reality in the churches that you grew up in, but this was definitely my reality, where I would come and I would sit down and I would rate the church experience. Do you know, even on Google now that you can go and you can rate from one to five stars how you liked church. If you think of churches at how you rate it, you've missed the whole point. Because church is not a product to be consumed. Church is a body to be stepped into and lived with as we are the body of Christ. And so the sequoia tree idea that, that God's word is saying is that instead of it looking like this, because all that does is create unhealthy, immature, and confused Christians, instead it's supposed to look a little bit more like this where we are the body and we gather together on Sunday and then we also gather together through the week in our life groups and while we are there, we get equipped and we get built up. Now that word equip is the best way I can describe it. The, the, the Greek phrase for this is like halftime at a basketball game. Now, I know, for all of my UK fans, I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have picked football. I just now realized that. I'm sorry. But it's okay. I'm an Alabama fan. We live from our defeat. You'll live from yours. You'll be stronger than ever. At least that's what I'm hoping. I'll tell you next season. Okay? Right? But it's, it's like halftime. Because you know what you do when you're, when you're in halftime? Is you go in there, and the coach says, guys, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Let's get some water. Let's take a deep breath. Let me tell you some stuff we did that works. Let me tell you some stuff that we're not going to do again because that didn't work. Let's get our new game plan. And come on, guys, let's go. and We're going to win the game. That's what equipped means. Equipped is a time when you get tools you need to be successful. Built up means empowered, encouraged, organized. That's where the coach says, come on, guys, we got this. We have beat these guys before. We're going to beat them again. And that's what that phrase is, is the phrase is the responsibility of the, of the leaders of the churches to come in and to equip you with the tools you need, build you back up again, and then they say, let's go out here and let's win the game. 
And when we start to see church not as a, as, a, as a consumeristic product, but we are the church, and we gather together for halftime once a week, and then we gather together in our life groups, and we start to, to get equipped and built up, we go back out, and we are the body. And so ministry is not my job. It's our opportunity. Ministry is something that we do every day, and then we celebrate what happened on Sunday. And when we start to see the body of Christ and do it to Jesus' way, the result is we become healthy, mature, and full of love. And what Paul is saying is this is what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a body that is equipping and building the saints so that they can go and do the work of ministry. And it's, it's kind of my bucket list item as your pastor is that before we are all done here, we're going to see the sequoia trees. We're, we're going to see this happen in our local church. But here's the question, how? How does the church equip me so that we can help one another grow and be healthy and mature and full of love? Well, God's word tells us that, and we're going to talk about those three things, and then we're going to have a time to pray together. The first thing that God's word teaches us is that the church equips and empowers us to become healthy by becoming Jesus-focused. It helps us to become healthy by making sure that we're constantly recalibrating ourselves to become Jesus-focused. God's Word says it like this. It says, this will continue. What? The responsibility of equipping and building up will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So Paul is saying, how, how long are we going to work on this? How long are we going to come in and we're going to get equipped? And it's going to be awesome and it's going to be great. I'm going to, we're going to build you up and then we're all going to go back out into the world and we're going to reach the lost for Jesus. When is this going to, how's this going to happen? Man, it's going to continue. It's going to keep on going until we're all in such unity that we've got our minds and our hearts on Jesus, which then means that one of the big focuses of when we come together is to get our focus back on Jesus. Everybody needs an environment where you can remember why we do this. Everybody needs a place where you can kind of shake the dust off and recalibrate yourself back to making sure our focus is on Jesus. It reminds me of uh, just the other day, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was, he's in the process of trying to build a house, and he's going to do it himself, and he's got all this other stuff going on, and someone in his family had gotten sick, and then on top of that, a very close family member passed away. And I was just calling him, just saying, hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> you got a lot going on, and now this tragedy is happening. And he was just trying to make light of it, and, and, he, and he was just joking. But he said, you know, they didn't even call me and ask permission before they died. <laughs> and, and I was like, what in the world does that mean? He's like, life happens, and they don't ask your permission, do they? And, and I got to thinking about that. And isn't that how life works? Like, maybe it's different in your world. But I never get a text message that says, hey, listen, I'm going to get offended Thursday at 3. I just want you to know. You know, no one says, hey, look, I, I, I'm going to get sick tomorrow, so I wanted to give you a heads up, or I, I, I've been, I've been re really not feeling well, so I'm going to die next Thursday. I just want to prepare your heart for it. No, that doesn't happen. No one asks my permission before we have a problem, or no one, my own body doesn't ask me permission before it gets sick. Things happen, don't they? And you know what happens when that happens? is it's a tendency in our life to get our eyes off of Jesus and focus on our problems, 
to, to start getting afraid and worried or what's going to happen over here and what's going to happen over there. And all of a sudden our focus gets off of Jesus. And you know what church is supposed to do is it's supposed to be a place where we come in and we worship God and we study his word so that we boom, find Jesus again. Not that we're not saved, but it's our focus gets off. And it's like we as a body of Christ kind of wave our hands and go, don't forget Jesus is the answer. So let's focus our intention back on him and go, oh, that's right, that's right. Man, Jesus, I'm so thankful for you. And then I go out into my world. And sometimes I come back in on Sunday and I didn't move a muscle. Man, I'm right there. Jesus is my focus. But sometimes I have a rough week and I'm over here. So I need to remember that Jesus is the focus. Well, how often do I do that? Well, until we will all become mature in the Lord, which means it's going to take a minute. It's going to take a while. It takes time for things to mature. Just this past week, someone told me, I used to think, you know, and this is just my ignorance, but I used to think that when you grow up, that by, <laughs> this is, now it's ridiculous, but I used to think that when you turn 18 years old, your brain is fully developed, you're mature. I mean, you can enter the military and you can vote. I guess you're done, right? <laughs> no, no, that's not it at all. <laughs> Actually, this guy was telling me this, like your mid-20s before your brain is done developing. And for some of us, our brains still aren't done developing, are they? There's a part of my brain that's stuck in middle school, and it's never going to get older than where it is, right there. It's just there. And so it was just like as, as long as I thought it took to grow a person, you never stop growing. And we all mature at different levels. And so what, what God's word is saying is, man, we're going to continue to recalibrate and focus on Jesus. And it's going to take a minute. It's going to take a while. So just settle in, and let's focus on Jesus. And it reminds me of this idea that I don't know if you've, if you've ever uh, done this or not, but I was, I was studying this idea of, of just people looking at stars for navigation. And nowadays you have GPS and they don't need such things as nature. You know? But back in the day, even before they had, uh, they really figured out how compasses work. If they were going to cross a body of water, they would look at the sun to get a general idea, but they waited until nighttime. Because at nighttime, they knew all the constellations in the sky, and they knew where they were trying to go. And at night, they would recalibrate to make sure they were going the right way. And so sometimes they would be looking and go, they were trying to go this way. And then throughout the day, as they were, it would get cloudy or whatever, they may be now at night, they're seeing, they go, okay, look, there it is. So just a little bit, we're back where it needs to be. And sometimes they would go, and by the time they got to that night, they're way off track. Here's my question for you. When you come to church on Sunday, do you give your, yourself a moment to just where are you, Jesus? And whatever it takes, I'm going to reorient myself with you because that's the most important thing in my life. Or is that a sequoia tree? I've never seen it. I hope it's true. I don't know. What if it could be? What if we could come to church on Sunday and we just take everything else and put it to the side? It's very important. Absolutely it is. But is it more important than Jesus? No. So for a few moments, I'm going to put it to the side. I'm going to say, where are you, Jesus? And whatever I have to do, I'm going to reorient myself with you because you or what it's about. And that's one of the things that the church does, is it helps us to find Jesus every time we gather on Sunday in our life groups, just to remember who this is really about, and that it's all about him. And God's word tells us that because of the greatness of God, that we are able to be equipped and empowered through the local church, the body of Christ, to be healthy by focusing on Jesus. The second thing God's word tells us is that we are equipped and empowered to become mature by becoming theologically stable. 
Now, don't, don't let the word theology throw you off here. It, it's, it's theo is the Greek word for God, and ology is study of. So it's a study of God. Like, you ever biology? You know, bio is life, ology is study. So it's a study of life, study of God. And what, what the church is supposed to do is the church is supposed to be a place where we get to know God, we get to understand who he is, and we know who he is, and we know who he's not. God's word said it like this. It said, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. And so these stack on top of each other. He's saying the very first thing that the church is supposed to do is it's supposed to help us reorient ourselves and focus on Jesus. That's why every Sunday we will say, maybe your next step is that you don't know Jesus. You're starting to see where Jesus is and you realize you're not even on his map. Well, that's okay. Jesus loves you and he wants to meet you today and you can receive Jesus. But then once we're there and we reorient ourselves, then the second thing is, is that once we focus on Jesus, the second thing is we get to know who he is. So we also know who he's not. Because what this teaches us, and I think this is true, is that we all start, it says, no longer immature like children. And I'm not trying to criticize you in any way, but I know when I first gave my life to Christ, I didn't know near as much as I thought I did. And I grew up in a pastor's home. I could quote all the scriptures. I thought I knew it all. But when it came time to doing life with God, I really would describe myself as immature like a child. I just didn't know anything. And just like when we have a newborn, we've had so many people have babies lately, don't drink the water, okay? <laughs> Unless you want to have kids, because they're, they're everywhere up in this place, all right? But when, when you have a, a brand new little baby, man, they're, they're, I think they're fragile. I know they're not as fragile as I think they are, but man, they're, they're new. <laughs> you got to take care of them. You got to watch over them. Why? Because they're babies. But the hope is that they don't stay that way. If that baby never grows and never develops, at some point, something is not right, and you have to start seeking help because this, this baby should be developing. And for some of us as Christ followers, we're, we're born into the kingdom of God, but we don't grow. And for a while, you go, that's okay. It takes time. But then after a while, if you're not growing, we start going, something's not quite right here. Maybe we need to figure this out because you should be growing and developing. And so when we come to, to church and we are the church, not just going to, but so we do life together as the church and then in life groups we do life together, the first thing that happens is we start to grow healthy by focusing on Christ. And then we start to realize that as I grow, I'm no longer immature like children because... When, when you're in that place as a Christ follower, man, it's so easy to get tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. And then it's also easy to be influenced by people who try to trick us. And so I want to tell you this right now. There are people in your life who believe, possibly, who believe things that's not in the Bible, but they're not trying to trick you. They just don't know. They heard this from somebody else, and they think it sounds true, and so they're going to give it to you. And, and that is one way that sometimes we can get away from Jesus is because just as friends, we start talking about something, and it's not actually in the Bible, and we get all kinds of messed up, and it's kind of like getting tossed and turned because we don't know what to believe. We don't know who to believe, and we just get confused. But I also want to tell you that there's people possibly in your life, especially if you are on social media, who are not confused. They don't want you to believe the truth. They've got a different idea. And they want you to go that way. And they're going to sometimes take some of this and they're going to try to trick you. And it's going to sound a whole lot like truth. And if you're not careful and you don't understand what the truth is, 1% off is going to sound really good. And before you know it, you're way over here into error and don't even know how you got there. How do we combat against that? Is number one, continuing to focus ourselves on Jesus. 
and then making sure the church is a place where we can find answers. I want to be honest with you and tell you that I grew up in a church environment that you didn't go to ask questions. You were just supposed to, there it is. You couldn't, you, you couldn't look it up. You couldn't figure it out. You just, just supposed to. Just believe. Just believe. Well, can I tell you that that was disastrous for someone who is very analytical and very stubborn like me? I can't just believe. Now, there's a point where we have to have faith, but can I have any facts? No. Well, I don't like that at all, man. I don't, so, so I started looking for my own answers somewhere, and I started looking for people who could do it in 140 characters or less. And before I knew it, I got in all kinds of trouble because I didn't do any research. It just seemed right to me, and so I just jumped for it. Well, the problem was this, man, I got so confused. And so this is the very best way to describe my relationship with God for years is I would run over here to this thing and I'd run over here to that thing and I just ended up being so confused. And then I would ask my brothers and sisters in Christ and they would say, ah, just believe. And it shipwrecked my faith. And I don't exactly know how we're going to do it as a church, but I want our church to, turn to, a pl to become a place where you can come for answers that you can come and we can give you resources. And I'm not gonna give you quick answers, but I'm gonna tell you where you can go find the answers because I want you to learn how to research things first. And that does not mean go to Google and look at the first blog and just, just might as well, they must be close to Jesus because that doesn't always work. But to be able to actually study to know what's going on because if you're not careful, something can sound so close to right, but it ends in a bad place. Let me give you an example because the church is the place we're supposed to have answers. Here, here, here's one, and that is, Every wind of new, new teaching that sounds like truth, progressive Christianity and deconstructionism. Now, I don't want to offend anybody in here. That is not my job. If you know me, I'm not interested in offending you. But the point is, is you want to, if the church is going to be a place with answers, every once in a while we have to call out false teaching. Now, the problem with this is, is trying to come up with a good definition of progressive Christianity and deconstructionism is like nailing jello to a wall. It is impossible, okay, because everybody you ask has a different answer for it. So I did some research. I dug, and I actually didn't bring this to you for three months because I read about 12 different books on the topic, and I tried to look at both sides very clearly, and I was more confused than when I got started. So I went to the extremely reputable website called Wikipedia, okay? And, and this was pretty close, okay, to what most places were saying. And that is, so, so listen to how sneaky this is, okay? Look, a willingness to question tradition. Okay, fine. Acceptance of diversity, of course. Strong emphasis on social justice. Yes, environmental stewardship. I had no idea what that was. It took me a while. And so I was like, okay, I don't really know what this means. That is extremely uh, foggy and hazy, but okay, um, all right. And so what happened was is then I started to engage with people and have conversations who were claiming that they were progressive Christians and they were in the process of deconstructing their faith. And I said, okay, let's talk about it. I had about seven different conversations with people and they all basically said the same thing, some more, some less, but all basically was this. And that is that the reality is when you get down to the brass tacks, that many people who promote this deny the deity of Christ. Instead, they say, Jesus was just a really good man. And he tapped into the nature of Christ. And so if you're good enough, you can tap into Christ consciousness, which is new age. It's not Jesus. Necessity of salvation. You don't have to be saved because you're already awesome. You just make mistakes from time to time. So you, you're not a sinner and need the blood of Jesus. You just need to act better sometimes. You're already pretty cool. The authority, liberty for all. They, they actually deny that. They don't believe that we all have equal access. Some are better than others. Authority of Scripture. The, according to them, the Bible's not inspired, just the parts they like. And I'll be honest with you, because I've asked other ones, and they say, well, I don't read that. 
Well, that doesn't work quite like that. The sanctity of human life. In other words, they start to say that whatever you think about life is what works. And so if you think that pro-life is awesome, great. If you think that pro-choice is awesome, great. The reality is, is they attempt to make everybody happy, which means they believe in nothing. And so when I got to it where I'd ask all seven of them, I would say, where did you get this? This is not in the Bible. Where did you get this? They all said basically the same thing. Well, it seems like what Jesus would say. According to who? According to me. Well, at that point, we have to take the phrase Christianity and just call progressive spirituality because you're no longer following Jesus, you're following yourself. And I want to be honest with you and tell you, I'm not cool enough to make my own decisions all by myself. I need something, someone bigger than me to tell me this is how life is supposed to be in his word because I sometimes get it wrong. And so I need a higher authority than me to tell me. But here's the thing is that if we don't dig into being the body of Christ and we get out on islands in different places, well, then this right here comes up and it's 1% off and sometimes much more than that. But since we don't know what the Bible says, could be true. And so we find ourselves tossed and turned by every wind of doctrine, and we find ourselves deceived because it sounds true. And there's even more. It's the idea of, of where are you going to go to find out what love is love means? Can I trust the Bible? The 1% off things. That's the things that make you scratch your head, but someone says, it's in the Bible. Do you look it up? No. Look it up. See if it's actually there. And then if you love, you love Jesus, right? Of course I love Jesus. Well, then you need to vote like me. Does does, does Jesus have something to say about those different things? I don't know. Maybe we should look it up in the Bible and find out. What's the answer to all of these things? The church is supposed to be. But instead, as a big C church, we've been so busy building buildings and building kingdoms for ourselves and building numbers and building all these other things. And I'm all about building buildings. We're, we're in the process of starting to look at that right now. But it's only secondary to Jesus, he is the one that we adore. And so we come and we focus ourselves on Jesus, and then we weed through all of the mess of the new different teachings and things, and we find out where Jesus is, and we head in that direction. And so as a church, it's like a sequoia tree. I've never seen it. I'm sure it's out there. Other people have seen it, but it's the bucket list of my life to be that kind of church where we can come in here on Sundays. We can come into our life groups, and we can focus on Jesus. And then we can come in here on Sundays. We come in here in our life groups and we start sorting through all of this stuff to find out what the Bible says. That's why we have focused and we changed our whole teaching style of ministry to passage by passage going through the Bible because there's so much there that we've never been exposed to. But we're going to fix it one small step at a time because God's word says that's what the church is supposed to look like. It's a place that because of the greatness of Jesus, we can grow healthy by focusing on Jesus. We can grow mature by going through all of this and having a stable idea of who God is. And then the third one is that the church equips and empowers us to become full of love by becoming balanced in truth and love, by finding somehow the balance of truth and love, which is no easy task in any generation, especially ours. The Bible says it like this. It says, instead... Instead of being deceived by all those different things, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. And so what Paul is saying is, man, we focus on Jesus and we start weeding out those different things and, and giving you opportunities. Do your own research and find out what, where the truth is. And then when you find out that truth, then we will have the ability to learn how, because we're going to have to grow in it to speak the truth in love. Because here's the perfect scenario. 
God's word says we will speak the truth in love, and that is we will find a way to balance truth and love. And it's not easy, and it's not always perfect. And sometimes we, we go one way or the other, but we, we constantly work on that balance. But the problem is, is if we don't focus on Jesus, and we don't know who Jesus is, then we get all kinds of confused and we get intimidated and we get insecure about it. And so what we tend to do sometimes is we tend, we, we tend to focus more on love. I just wanna love people, which is amazing. But the problem is, is that if you only focus on love, truth slides off and gets lost somewhere in the process. I didn't realize how dangerous this was one time until I had a friend of mine who was struggling with a, a sin issue in his life. And I had the relationship. I don't think it's wise at all, unless God speaks to you specifically. It's not wise at all to speak into someone's life that you don't have a relationship with. And, and I, I, I would, you never speak into someone's life that you have not cried and prayed and wept over first to ask God to open the door. And God had opened many doors for me to speak to him about a sin issue in his life. But because I, was, I wanted his love, I wanted him to like me, I was afraid to be truthful with him. And so I just said, I just want to love him. Well, the problem is, is he ended up experiencing some terrible situations in his life because that issue is a blind spot in his life. And he came up to me later and he said, Brandon, did you see this thing going on in my life? And I was honest and I said, yeah, yeah, I saw it. Why didn't you tell me? Well, I was just praying for you and I was just loving you. And he said, you mean to tell me that God never opened a single door? And I lied. I said, no, no, not at all. You know? And then eventually I was truthful and I said, yeah, there was some opportunities. You asked me about it. And I just, I just didn't, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. He said, well, Brandon, look at me. I would have rather you hurt my feelings than for me to have lost everything I've lost. And so it taught me a lesson that it can't just be about love. But at the same time, it can't all be about truth. Because just because you're right doesn't mean you're right. <laughs> you, know, you can say the right thing in the wrong way and you still, everybody loses. And so some people, they, they struggle because it's right. And because they don't struggle with it, they want to blast it out to everybody else. Well, why don't we talk about the issue you're struggling with? <laughs> And so we don't always do that. And so that becomes a problem as well. And so what, what God's word tells us is that if we're careful, we just don't say anything and then everybody loses and it's a problem. So instead, what God's word teaches us is that when we become part of the body of Christ and we focus our eyes on Jesus and we slowly start to figure out where the truth is, what's true, what's not true, what's 1% off, what's, what's all this. And then once we start to do that, as we're in the body of Christ on Sundays and on our, our life groups and all those kinds of things, then we're able to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. We're supposed to figure out the balance in relationship. We're supposed to figure out the balance by someone we're doing life with, someone we've been praying for, and someone we've been talking to, and we see this sin issue in their life, but they don't see it. And in the context of that relationship, because we are the body of Christ, we take the, the courage, we take the moment, we step in and go, hey, man, listen, I've been seeing the way you've been treating your wife. And man, I love you. You know I love you, and I'm not going anywhere, but I don't think that's the way Jesus would honor your wife. And the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And you know what a friend does? Hey, I see this, it's a problem. So now I'm gonna sit down. How are we gonna do this together? And then we start to figure that out in the body of Christ. Because is it possible that the truth that God wants to speak to your neighbor is gonna come from you after you have prayed and cried and wept and you spoke the truth and it brought healing to their life because they don't even realize it's a problem. That's what Jesus gave us, gifts to be able to speak into each other's life to equip and to build up so that we can do the work of ministry. And because of the greatness of Jesus, we're able to become healthy by focusing on him, mature by becoming theologically stable. We know what we believe and we know what we don't believe. And then 
We become not only mature, but we start growing and full of love as we start speaking the truth in love. And then here's, here's the goal of where we're trying to get. The Bible says that Jesus makes his whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's the sequoia tree. That's, that's the thing that I want to spend the rest of my life searching for. And as I was, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about that scenario, I was thinking about how really, truly, a sequoia tree forest looks like something out of a fairy tale, out of, out of Lord of the Rings. It's just this, this beautiful thing that I can't wait to see one day. And I've heard people tell these stories and they say, you know, I, I, I knew all about it. I, I watched the videos, I saw the pictures, but man, when you see one, it's, it's a masterpiece of creation. And I was thinking about that. I was like, how is that even possible? Because the trees in my backyard don't look like that. <laughs> the trees in my backyard don't get that tall. They don't get that wide. They just not. And I was looking at it, and I was like, how does that even pop? So I got to researching and doing different things, and part of it has to do with that's the type of trees they are. But, but at these various different places I was looking at, they were saying there was this one thing that helped these trees grow so tall and wide. And it was this. that Let's say these are the sequoia trees. Those are really big, and they're beautiful. And they said the one thing that helped all these trees grow are their root systems. Not just because they grow deep, and not just because they grow wide, but the secret of their success, the way God made them, is that when they start to grow, they grow, the trees grow really close to each other because also they're so big. And what starts to happen is that they start to interweave with one another. So that if you were to ever try to harvest one of these trees, and I have no idea how you'd even start that, you wouldn't be able to take up the root because the root is so intertwined with all of the other roots that they're inseparable. That you couldn't take it up because if you took up one tree, you'd take up the whole forest. And because of that, when these winds come, it blows them, but only so far over because while they're blowing, their roots will grab onto the other tree and they only go so far over. And then when they start to go the other way, they have another one to get them. And so when this one is weak, that one is strong. And then this one is strong. And before you know it, you don't even notice that they're weak because they're so held together by the other trees. And that's how they live, to be almost 3,000 years old. Imagine the different storms they've seen. Imagine the different events that they've been through. None of them could stop these trees, not because they were special by themselves, even though they're pretty special, but because their roots are not just deep, but they're inseparable from their neighbors. And I got to thinking about that, and I wonder if that's the secret to the body of Christ. Maybe that's the reason why I've never seen that in my life, but I want to spend the rest of my life searching for it. Is it maybe in the environments I grew up into, I saw people that dug down deep, that stretched out wide, but for whatever reason, maybe because of pain, maybe because of hurt, maybe because of other things, they never let their roots intertwine with others. And say, so I refuse to do life alone. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. But I wasn't made to do life alone. And so I will choose to forgive because forgiveness is first a choice, not an emotion. And I will interlock myself so that I can grow and become everything that God has created me to become. And I wonder if this, I wonder if God may want to use you to be your neighbor's next miracle. Is it possible? Sometimes God will do something supernatural and he will move in your life without anyone else's assistance. 
Most of the time, though, he will use his body to work out his miracles. And I don't know how that may look for you. Maybe, maybe for you, it's going to be that you stop trying to carry the weight all by yourself. Maybe for you, it's going to be where you, you ask your neighbor, I can't do this on my own. There is no shame in saying you need someone else to walk alongside you. The shameful thing is when you destroy yourself because you didn't have enough confidence to ask for help. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's time for you, someone else, to extend that grace to someone else. But I wonder if the church could be someone else's next miracle. Maybe. But what it's going to take is it's going to take all of us becoming the body of Christ, becoming equipped and built up so that we can go and join the game and becoming mature, becoming where we're, we're getting healthy and where we're full of love. And I want to ask you this question as we get ready to pray. The bands get ready to come up. And I just want to ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What area do you need God to do in your life? Maybe, maybe in honesty, and it's just between you and the Lord, you, you've gotten off base. You've, you, you've gotten kind of messed up because you started reading the blogs and looking at the social media stuff, and you've gotten confused in your faith, and you're starting to realize that, like, I don't even know what's true anymore. It, you know, that's an amazing place to be because that's where you start your journey to, to coming back to that center of where Jesus is. So maybe in just a moment when we have a time of worship, that needs to be your prayer. God, I pray you'll open my eyes to see you more clearly. It's a beautiful prayer. Maybe you're in here and you struggle because there's some people in your life that you want to take that step with them. You see maybe some issues in their life, but you, you need to pray and ask God to help you develop a relationship with them so that you can be the body of Christ together. I don't know. Whatever it is that you need to do, there's an opportunity here in a moment for you just to bring it to the Lord. But I want to maybe talk to one specific type of person today, and that is you've gotten your focus off of Jesus. Now, maybe you're in here and you don't have a relationship with God. I'm so proud of you for being here. And in just a moment, there's going to be an opportunity on the back of your Connect card as a prayer that you can pray to receive Jesus. What that is, is that's repenting of all of your sins, turning everything you have over to Jesus. That's what salvation is. But maybe you're in here and you know Jesus, but you're having trouble finding him right now. The, the issues of your life have gotten so big that you found yourself focusing more on the next rent payment, the relationship issue, your marriage, your kids, your job, and it's taken away your joy from Jesus, and it's been filled up with worry and fear. Can I tell you? It's okay. We all do it. But that's why we're here, is to focus back on Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond, to maybe come up here and pray, maybe go have someone pray for you in the back. But do you need to focus on Jesus again? Let's pray that right now. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your blessings and your mercy, God. Thank you that you know us and you see us. And Lord, I believe in this moment that you're speaking to many of us about many different things in our lives. You're speaking to some of us. Lord, that it's time for us to remove the lies. It's time for us to dig deep, to know who you are and why we're here. Others of us, God, it's time for us to take some steps of faith. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Some of us need to receive some of that. Some of us need to give some of that. Right now, Holy Spirit, I just give you permission as we sing this song just to speak to our hearts. But I just pray specifically today for those who would say, Pastor, I've lost my focus. 
I've let fears, worries, conflicts, issues, I've let all these different things cloud up my judgment so that I don't see Jesus like I need to. Lord, for those people, I pray that you will reveal yourself to them. As they come up forward for prayer, as they go receive prayer by our prayer team person, I pray that you, they will see you more clearly so that we can follow you with everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me all over the house this morning? The band is going to lead us in one final worship song. How do you need to refocus on Jesus? Do you need to come up front and just lay it all back down to him? Do you want someone to lay hands on you and pray with you? Because sometimes the weight gets too heavy to carry by yourself. How do you need to recalibrate and to focus on Jesus? Let's do that today.